0: book around A.D. 68 to about 70. Some have given a little wider window, 65 to about 80, we think it's a little closer to 68 to 70 because he ties in with this letter that Peter writes in Second Peter, and he refers to some of the same topics that Peter does and what was happening in the church, that in the church there were people who were straying away from the faith, and he's addressing much the same topic, and he even journeyed at times with Peter, and they probably saw this same issue in the churches. So he writes this around AD 68 to 70. The audience that he writes to is not mentioned other than the fact that he says here in verse 1, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, to believers. He's not writing to a church. He's not writing to a specific group of people. He's not writing to the Jews. He's writing to anybody who's a follower of Christ, which includes us. And the key verse of this entire book is found down in verse 3 where he says, I want you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. I want you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, that's the focal point, the key verse of this entire book. Here's the outline Of this short book, this one chapter. Let me give you the outline, and I'll give you all four points because all four of these points are ones that we're gonna talk about. Here's the outline. When you look at the message of Jude, first of all, he has a call to respond to the gospel, that's in the first two verses. And then he has a call to defend the gospel, that's in verses three and four. And then he mentions this perversion that is happening to the gospel. And he takes most of this short book to talk about the perversion that is happening to the gospel, to the good news. That's verse 5 all the way down to verse 19. And then he gives the action that needs to take place, the advance of the gospel that needs to happen within the church in these last few verses, verses 20 through 25. So we're going to read, and we're going to kind of pause a little bit along the way and give an emphasis to some of these things, understanding this is the outline, this is the breakdown of this book. In the first little section of verses 1 and 2, he calls for people to respond to the gospel. He says, I'm Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and a brother of James, and I'm writing to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. First of all, in this short book, there is a response to the gospel that he's calling for, a response to the gospel that he wants. And this response to the gospel is just really simple and really straightforward. He says, first of all, you are called. You are called. Now, many times when we study the Word of God, when we study the New Testament in particular, there are people who get tripped up and who stumble over this idea of being called. Because when we talk about being called, when we talk about the calling of God on our lives, it leads into another topic of discussion that can be very confusing for people, talking about God predetermining or predestining, God choosing things for us, that God has called you. Now, we could suffice to say in here that you have been predestined to certain things. There are certain things that God has predetermined for you. He has predestined you for. First of all, you were predestined that you would be born here in America. We just celebrated our Independence Day. Aren't you glad that God predetermined that you be born here in this nation? Okay, we don't have a problem with that idea of predestination, do we? You were predetermined that you would be born to the parents and to the family that you were born into. You were predetermined with your race. You were predetermined with some of your genetic disposition. You were predetermined with certain parts of your personality. You had some predetermination. Aimed at you from the very beginning. God has determined from the very start certain things about you. Now, why in this passage does Jude say, to the called of God? Does it mean that some are called and some are not called? No, what it really means is to everybody who hears the message of God, to every single person who hears this call of God, I'm writing this to you. If you've heard the Lord speak to your heart in any kind of capacity, in any kind of way, this message is for you. You have been sanctified. Now, that word sanctification simply means that we are set apart. If you've been called in Christ, you've been set apart to a specific task. You have a very specific purpose that the Lord has called you to. And you are preserved by the power of God. It's one of those things, one of those truths that in this tradition, in the Baptist church in particular, we continue to pound home. When we talk about this in membership matters, I express it very clearly here in this church. We believe that once a person has come to faith in Christ because that transforming power of Christ working in them was done by the power of God, not the power of Rob. It wasn't done by my works. It wasn't done by my good deeds. It was done by Jesus' work on the cross because he did that and because he took this old me and he transformed me into a new person. The old passed away. Behold, the new has come. I am a new creature in Christ and even though I'm not always faithful, he is faithful and and he will keep that which I've committed to him against that day. He's preserved me, and I will be his forever. If I've come to faith in Christ, I can't lose that. He says, there's a blessing that you've got that is coming your way. He says, you are blessed. I'm praying for this blessing, mercy, peace, love, May it be multiplied to you. He opens this book with a call to respond to the gospel. But he moves on from there in verses 3 and 4, and he talks about the call to defend the gospel. This that you were called to is still the message we need to share with others. Verse 3, beloved, while I was very diligent to write you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. I carried this message to you and I have found as I've journeyed around, as I've traveled around, I have found that people have begun to water down the gospel and I see the need to call you to contend for the gospel. We've got to defend the gospel Now, I know Jesus is thoroughly capable of defending the gospel himself, but he also calls us to join him in that defense of the gospel. We are to contend earnestly for the message of this gospel, and we're to contend together as we share the message of this gospel. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. We've got a call to respond to the gospel, a call to defend the gospel, to contend earnestly and to contend together. And then Jude goes on to explain what's happening with the perversion of this gospel. He says in verse five, I want to remind you Though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward, he destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he's reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for judgment of the great day as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example. They're suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, Jude reminds these believers who are receiving this message. He says, you can look back in history. You can look back at how the Lord has responded before and you can see that these people, they are doomed. These people who want to pervert the gospel, their doom is already sealed. Their doom is already secured. So even though they have infiltrated within the church today and they've started to pervert the gospel, their doom is already sealed. God didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah. He's not going to spare them. God didn't spare angels who had strayed away. He's not going to spare them. Their doom is already sealed, but what we see is that these teachers have begun to infiltrate the church. Now, here's the thing. When we talk about defending the gospel and the perversion of the gospel, in our culture today, in that culture and in our culture, there is a culture war that is taking place. And there are those outside the church. There are those outside who are attacking the gospel. There are those who are wanting to water down the gospel from outside the church. Now, as believers, as people who are holding to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are called to defend the gospel, but we know that they don't have the same foundation that we have. They come from a different perspective. They believe differently. They may not believe in the same God we do. They may not believe in any God at all, and so finding the common ground is difficult. The call from Jude here is to defend the gospel Against those within. Those from inside who would water down. Those from inside the church who are teaching things that are contrary to God's word. We have an absolute responsibility to contend against those who would teach something that is not from the Lord. Verse 8, likewise also... These dreamers, they defile the flesh. They reject authority and speak evil of dignitaries. Even Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, he dared not bring against him, against the devil, a reviling accusation but said, the Lord rebuke you. This is God's work. This isn't necessarily my work. This is his work. The Lord's the one. His word is where we need to stand. It's his work. It's his authority. It's his message that we need to stand on. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts in these things they corrupt themselves. So Jude's talking about the description of these false teachers. She says, they speak about things that they don't know. Woe to them, verse 11, for they have gone in the way of Cain. They have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit. Balaam is that Old Testament prophet who when the king, King Balak, asked for a curse on God's people, Balaam said, I can't go. I can't speak anything that the Lord hasn't told me to speak. But hey, if you're going to give me all that money, let me go back and ask him again if I can curse these people. Hey, God, can I curse these people? Because he's really going to give me a lot of money. And God said, no, don't go. And Balaam came out and said, no, I can't really go, even though you've got all that money right there. But you know, I'll go back and ask him again just to make sure, because that is a lot of money. It says, like Balaam, these people have sold themselves and are using the gospel for profit. Description of these false teachers over in verse 16, it continues. They're grumblers. They're complainers. They're walking according to their own lusts. They mouth great swelling words. I love that phrase in the New King James They mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause division, and they don't have the Spirit of God within them. He gives this description of these false teachers. Now, what is their desire? What is it that they're aiming for? These people who are perverting the gospel. Well, look down at verse 12. It says, these are spots in your love feasts while they feast with you without fear. They serve themselves. What's the desire of these false teachers? Self. Seeing themselves elevated. They are clouds without water. Carried about by the winds. Late autumn trees without fruit. They are twice dead. Pulled up right by the roots. They're raging waves of the sea. Foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is reserved. The blackness of darkness forever. Enoch from the seventh the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all of them, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which, have, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. There is this call to respond to the gospel, the call to defend the gospel, the description of the perversion of the gospel, and the call to advance the gospel. We'll read these, and then we'll tie it all together. Verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, pray in the Spirit. How do we advance the gospel? First of all, we've got to continue to grow. You, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. How do we advance the gospel? We've got to pray, pray in the Holy Spirit. How do we advance the gospel? We've got to continue to love, verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. On some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. We've got to love, love enough to keep the gospel true. And we've got to trust And now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Now, when we look at this book, so much included here in this one little chapter, truly a one-chapter wonder. What is this gospel? Message in this short book trying to tell us these four things. First of all, there's a call to respond to the gospel. The call has always been there, the call is still there. One of the most troubling things, one of the most troubling things that I hear as a pastor. is related to some of the statistics tied to the church today, the church in America today. Now, this may not be an accurate description of this church, but when you hear group after group who survey among those who are believers in churches asking them questions from the Word of God, when the Barna Group, when the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association come to the conclusion that sounds so similar, when the Barter Group says that 75% of those who are on church roles in America today are lost. When the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association says that the greatest field for the harvest of the gospel exists in the congregations of churches all across America. 80% they estimate, 80% of those who are on the roll of a church are lost. That's their estimate, not mine. Now, whether I agree with that fully or not, I don't know that we can apply that fully to this church, but I do know that we have 1,800 members, and I know that we have, on a good Sunday, with all our children and teenagers and workers back in the nursery scattered in other parts of the building, on a good Sunday, we might have 400 or 450 people here And when you look at the numbers and the statistics, boy, that looks eerily similar to some of the things that have been described. This is the call of the gospel. Here's the call of the gospel. And I know that in churches all across America today, there are people who have heard the gospel over and over again. They just haven't responded to the call for whatever reason. Maybe because they feel shame, maybe because they feel like people will look at them, maybe because they feel like they already are saved when all they've done is walk an aisle and be dunked under in a tub. When the call of the gospel is this, I've called you and I've set you apart, I've sanctified you. I've called you to be unique, to be my special people. You have been transformed by the power of Christ, and now it's time to be different from the world. D.L. Moody says the faith that fizzles at the finish was faulty at the first. And here's the call. The call is still the same today as it was 2,000 years ago. We've got to respond to this gospel. We've got to respond to this gospel message. Jesus Christ came to die on a cross to save you from your sin, which you could not do for yourself. You had no hope. I had no hope. And unless I yield and surrender to Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, call upon his name and declare him Lord of my life, I will not be saved. It requires that response. And Jude says, you've heard this gospel message before. You've heard it proclaimed. First of all, the Lord wants us to respond to the gospel. Secondly, he wants us to defend the gospel. He wants us to defend the gospel. If Jesus Christ wanted to today, He could come back on the clouds of glory and he could take away every single person who is not a believer, every single person who desired to pervert the gospel, every single person who tried to lead someone astray from the gospel. He could, but he also gave us this description in his word. He said, I am patient and long-suffering, desiring that none be lost, but all of these people be saved. He could, but he's not going to. And he's left it to us, the church. He's not going to yet, at least. There will come a day when the trumpet will sound and the Lord will descend. But it hasn't arrived yet. And until it arrives, he he's entrusted to you and to me the defense of the gospel. That's what Jude reminds us of. He says, you need to contend earnestly for this gospel message. Don't allow it to be watered down. You've got to stand on the word, which means we've got to know what the word says about this gospel message, but we've got to contend earnestly for the gospel message. It's your task. It's my task. It has been given to us because the perversion of the gospel is happening in our world today. Now, I didn't print it and put it up on the slides because it would take too long. It's too much there. But if you really want to see an idea of how the gospel itself is being perverted in America in particular... I shared this with the staff and with a couple others with a a, a brief um, message that I sent out this week. You you can go to the website progressivechristianity.org. Progressivechristianity.org. And you may hear this. You may hear people say and use the term progressive Christian. They use this now instead of liberal Christian because it kind of has a bad connotation, the idea of a liberal Christian. But progressive Christianity sounds like, hey, we're just modernizing this, we're bringing it into the modern age, we're making it palatable to everybody. And if you want to see how the gospel is being perverted, all you have to do is go on this website, progressivechristianity.org, and look at their eight basic points. Their eight basic points. And if you read those eight basic points, you'll see that in progressive Christianity, which has taken over much of those who are in the public arena and in the political arena today who say that they're believers in Christ, but they're progressive Christians, this is the description we don't care what the Bible says, it's more about the seeking than the answers. I I'm sorry, I missed something along the way there. I didn't know that the journey was more important than the answer. Jesus Christ. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. ProgressiveChristianity.org also says there are many different ways you can get there, all kinds of different paths that you can take to find your faith, your place in this world. We're open and accepting of anybody and everybody. We're not going to tell them they're wrong. They've got to determine that for themselves. Now, why is this important? Because they have the name of Christ. And if there is no response back, if there is no response from people who stand on the word of God, if there is no response back, if we don't even know how to respond, then they hijack the name of Jesus Christ. There's a perversion of the gospel that's taking place, and it's time for us to contend earnestly for the truth of God's word. It's time for us to pull the word of God out, stand on the word of God, to share the word of God, regardless of whether it offends or not, regardless of whether it offends my neighbor, regardless of whether it offends my family member, because Jesus said, I came as a stone of stumbling and as a rock of offense. And if we are sharing a message that doesn't occasionally, we're not called to be offensive, but we're sharing a message that if it doesn't offend on occasion, then the message may have been compromised. We're called to respond to the gospel, first of all, and we're called to defend the gospel against this perversion that is taking place. Now, how do we advance this gospel? Well, it is interesting that he mentions just a few things here in these verses at the end of Jude. We advance this gospel by growing. But you, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Learn my word. (laughs) Build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Grow in me. If we want to advance the gospel, pray. You know what the greatest evangelism strategy that has ever been developed in the entire world, the greatest evangelism strategy is not CWT. It's not evangelism explosion. It's not faith training. It's not any of those that we see out there today. The greatest evangelism strategy in the world was described by Jesus Christ when he said, see that harvest out there? You pray. You pray unto the Lord of the harvest. You pray that he would start calling people from within the body to start sharing in that harvest. And when you start connecting with my Father, he's going to connect with those in the congregation of believers that are called to share. Now, who might that be? Well, it might just be every single one of us. Go into all the world teaching and baptizing in my name. Where do we begin? We pray. If we're going to advance this gospel, if we're going to win back this gospel from those who are desiring to pervert it, We've got to love. We've got to love. We can't hate those who are taking the word of God and twisting it because if we do, we've already lost the battle. We've got to love like Jesus loved, like Jesus when he's hanging on the cross and says to the Romans who are crucifying him, they don't know what they're doing. Father, would you please forgive them, saying to the Jews who are spitting and cursing at him. Father, forgive them. They don't really know what they're doing. He showed this incredible amount of love that in the face of adversity, he still... Carried the message of love. And that's what Jude says here. He says, in the church today, we can't stop loving. We've got to carry this message. We've got to defend the gospel, but we can't stop loving. We want to pray for the Lord of the harvest, pray unto the Lord of the harvest to call people out, but we've got to go in love. In verse 21, it says, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And this is one of my favorite, absolute favorite passages of scripture talking about evangelism. He says, on some have compassion. Some who we're sharing the gospel with have compassion and gentleness and kindness and share the love of God with them and share in a loving, friendly, kind way. On some, have compassion. Verse 23, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. You know what Jude says here? Some have compassion and share the gospel in a kind, gentle way. Some scare the heaven right into them. You tell them about the flames of hell and you let them dangle over them for a little while till their feet get too hot. And you scare the heaven right into them. Because if we're going to advance the gospel, We have to grow in the word of God. We have to pray in the spirit of God to the Father in heaven. We've got to, we have got to love. We can't lose sight of the call to love and we have got to trust that our Lord, Jesus Christ, is able to accomplish all of these things through you, through me, through his church today. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God, our Savior, who alone is wise, to him be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. We've got to defend the gospel. We've got to advance the gospel. We've got to trust that God will work through you to accomplish both. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this message from your word this brief treasure that your Spirit laid upon Jude to share with us believers who need to respond to the call of the gospel, who need to earnestly contend for the gospel, who, though for Generations we have seen a perversion of the gospel. We need to advance this gospel. We need to do so in the love of Christ. So Lord, help us to have compassion on some and on others to share the straightforward word of God that talks about their eternal destiny. And if they come to you and confess you as Savior and Lord because they are afraid of their destination, at least they have come. So, Lord, today I pray that you would help us to trust in your Savior and that your word will never return empty useless and void. And it's in the strong name of our Savior Jesus we pray.